Well, good morning. Oh, we got we got Topper and Sue down here with their Kleenex. So, hanky, sorry, hanky. Uh, you guys, my name is Pastor Becca, and I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. Not just because I get to stand up here and I get to share a message, but because we have the privilege of being in church. You know, I was just thinking there's people all across the world, but across our country that are not yet back in church and that we get to be together, we get to worship together, and we are allowed to come together. And so today I just, um, that's a gift that we get to have. And today I am honored to be able to stand up here that um, thank you to Pastor Topper and Pastor Rob for sharing this platform with me and allowing me to share the message that God has placed on my heart. Um, The first time I spoke uh, to adults because I'm a kids pastor, so I normally share with children. Uh, I remember sitting just right there, and it was on a Tuesday, and I just, during prayer, and I just felt like I made this deal with the Lord. I'd never stand up on a platform in front of his people uh, that he opened the door to without hearing from him first. And so this week, uh, I sat in this room again, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to share? What is it What is it that you want to come forth? And It was a really simple answer, and I was hoping that there would maybe be a little bit more to it, you know, some meat, I don't know, but it was just share my heart. And so as we're going to move into probably the the most familiar parable in the Bible, whether you're a part of church or not, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. There's hospitals, um, nonprofit organizations, nursing homes that are titled after this parable, and we've all at least heard the title. And my challenge to you today is whether this is the hundredth time you are hearing this parable and you've heard this message in 22 different ways, or this is the first time, would you seek the heart of God in this message? Because the reason that he put out to us to love our neighbor, which we're about to talk about, is because he loved us first. And so take this as a challenge for a way to you, for you to get better, but the way that we're being called to love, we've already been loved. And so hear that in this. Now, as we're going to open up uh, to Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to start by seeing Jesus do what Jesus loves to do best, and that's to teach. He loved to communicate and teach. He was on the earth for that purpose, to share what he came to share. And so he didn't waste time. He was teaching people. So verse 25 says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And we're going to pause there for a second because I think it'd be really easy to just breeze past this point and think this man is inquisitive. He wants to hear from Jesus. He wants to know the answer. But just by reading that first sentence of that verse, um, there's some words that actually paint a different picture for us. And the first word is expert. We're told the man is an expert. Uh, And that would be translated into this day and age as him being a lawyer, which means he was a biblical expert. He knew the law, and that's an important way to see it. He knew the law of the Bible. 
just by being an expert, we know that um, Luke, the author of this parable of the book of Luke, had told us a couple chapters earlier in uh, verse 30 of chapter 7. He said, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And what that was saying is that by rejecting John the Baptist's message, who came before Jesus to make the way, they were rejecting what Jesus came to do. So we already know that his motives aren't quite quite the same as wanting to learn. It also says that he, test, he, he tested Jesus. He stood up to test Jesus. I'm just going to say one word, and that's toddler. When a toddler wants to test their parents, there's nothing pure about those motives, okay? And so he was trying to bait Jesus. He was testing him. He was trying to bait him. He was trying to see what he could get Jesus to say. And then in verse 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. See, what this expert was trying to do is he was trying to figure out How many people do I really have to love? How many people do I really have to show compassion to? And how little can I really do? So essentially what this man is doing is he's trying to find a loophole in what Jesus had just told him. And you know, as I look around the world and I also look to myself, I wonder how many of us are looking for loopholes. Before we even meet a person, we're looking for a loophole because of what we know about them. Because of their affiliations, because of their religion, because of the politics, because of what sports team they like. We say things like, I would love them, but we don't see eye to eye on politics. Or I would love them, but we're way on different pages of religion. I would love them, but they're really mean. I would help them if they help themselves first. If we're looking for loopholes, we are going to miss the heart of God. We must remove the loopholes from our hearts and minds. But in order to do that, we may first have to acknowledge that we're seeking loopholes. And that's uncomfortable sometimes. What if we eliminated the ifs and the buts and we just said, I will love them, period. I will help them, period. And we don't have to add on that last little bit. This essentially is what Jesus is going to teach in this parable. There is no loopholes in in loving like Jesus. So we're going to continue on and hear what Jesus told this expert. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
this parable was not really the explanation that people were looking for from Jesus. It wasn't what they were expecting. And then they really weren't expecting to Jesus, for Jesus to use a Samaritan to be the hero of this story, being their enemy that really threw them off. Honestly, who they were expecting probably to be the hero of the story was the priest, because after all, he was a priest. But when this priest stumbled upon this, this half-dead man, he passed to the other side. Why would he do that? Now, some people believe that he didn't want to risk touching a dead body and becoming unclean and then having to go about the cleansing of himself. Others might believe, I could, you could think, he's a priest, he's busy, he's doing priestly work, and maybe he was on his way to go do something really important for the Lord, and he was just really, really busy doing that. But the question is, not what he should have done, but who is his neighbor? So my question is, if this man would have been someone that was a part of his church, his family, his inner circle, would he, could he have then been bothered to stop? Would he maybe have taken notice of the man and opened his eyes and seen him? He was just too busy doing the work of a priest to be a priest. John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are we too busy trying to be a Christ follower that we are forgetting to actually follow Christ's example? When people see you, do they see Jesus? Do they know who you serve by your actions? Perhaps the priest needed to open up his spiritual eyes and his heart to what God was putting literally right in front of his path and remember why he was truly on that road. How are your eyes today? Are you allowing God to show you your neighbor? Are you creating time and margin in your life for your heart to be open to the neighbors you pass by daily? Next, we see the Levite. Honestly, the Levite's um, excuses could be very similar to the priest because he was essentially like the second in command um, within the church. Uh, he could also be called a temple assistant. And so he probably wouldn't want to get become unclean as well. And he was probably super busy doing the work of the church. But then trying to give him the benefit, benefit of the doubt, I just thought, what else could make someone not want to stop and help somebody? And that could be danger. Because honestly, no one would argue with the fact that this road was indeed dangerous since there's this man half dead on the road. And there could be bandits still waiting around, lurking, to then attack this Levite. And so possibly he just thought, I need to take care of myself and I need to get to safety. And maybe he moved on. Kind of made me wonder, what is our response in 2020? What would we do if we saw someone on the side of the road? happens to be there's a website where people can type in questions and people answer them. Uh, not impressed with the answers here, okay? Uh, so I found this one man's just kind of wrapped up everybody's answers in a really ugly bow. It says, it's generally not a good idea to stop and try to offer assistance to somebody stranded along the side of the road. 
Besides safety concerns, you personally run a far greater risk of being hit by another car. The absolute worst thing you can do is try to change a flat tire for someone in need. If you slip and scratch their car or damage something or get hurt, then you are responsible. Now, please hear me. I am not telling you to learn from this man. What I am saying is, I cannot believe some of the selfish things that people are willing to post on the internet about themselves. I'm also not telling you that you should just stop, you know, in one of those really secluded, dark street, like roads if someone's on the side. We've all seen the movie. It doesn't end well. So there are ways to be safe and safeless. So be smart. I'm not saying to not. Okay. But Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Are your actions showing that you value others above yourself? Is that what people would think about you? Who do you consider first? Others or yourself? Do you measure the love you will show someone with what it will cost you? Either financially, personally, with time. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said this, On the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I do wonder what went through the Samaritan man's head. As where others had walked to the opposite side of the road, he chose to walk towards this injured man, his enemy, And he saw this man in such need. Society had told him that they were enemies. He didn't know why. He had been taught to hate this man, even though they had never met. But here's the thing. This Samaritan was rooted in love. He let love guide him over fear, over the unknown, over the messy. He saw this man as a man and not a people group, and he let love guide him in that direction. He didn't see this man as a post on social media. He saw this man as a human individual and chose to love him. See, love has that power. 1 Corinthians 13 is often a chapter of the Bible that we hear read at weddings. But I have a little announcement for you. Uh, That was not its point of being written. It was not written to be read at weddings and then held on the, you know, on a little plaque up on your wall to remember your wedding day and then just left there. See, we are to read that. That is what we apply to ourselves. Probably daily would be a good idea. Um, on our 10th wedding anniversary, I read that, and I just thought about every way that my husband loves me, and then I realized, yeah, I might 
be missing a couple of those. And so I did in context to marriage, but then I've started to realize, I think when we have issues with a, a relationship, when you read this passage, you can oftentimes figure out where the problem lies. And so as we're going to read this, I also would like to remind you that this is not an a la carte situation here. Uh, this is an all-encompassing thing. So it's not like pick three characteristics and that's the way you love. This isn't a love language thing. This is all of it. And that's what makes love, love. So let's read this. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Without considering himself, this Samaritan man walked to this injured Jewish man and had compassion on him. He started caring for his wounds, and I don't know if he was hesitant as he walked up, like, oh, should I do this, should I not? But he did it. And I wonder if as he started to care for his wounds and pour oil and wine and bandage him, compassion breeds compassion. And if in that, that moment, all of a sudden, he's like, I can't leave this man here now. And then he puts him up on his donkey, which me, a person that doesn't really like to walk, I can appreciate that that meant this man gave up his ride, essentially. And now he has to walk so this other man can ride in his donkey. And he brings him to the town. And not only does he put him in an inn, but he, he himself stays with him and cares for him. And when it's time to leave, he pays the bill. You know, this Samaritan man may have been just as busy, actually probably was just as busy as the priest and the Levite. He was traveling. There was a purpose for that. When I'm traveling, I do not want an interruption. When I hear those dreaded words in the back of the car, I have to go to the bathroom and the gas tank is not empty that is not delightful for me. And if it's going to take longer than five minutes to get food on our stop, I mean, do you really need to eat? Just do you? Like, we'll be there in 18 hours. It's fine. But he welcomed the interruption. And he stopped what he was doing. And I have to believe he was doing something important because it took him away. Something was going to take him away from this inn and he was going to come back. As loving as he was, I don't think he would have just left this man in the care of the innkeeper if he could have stayed. I think he had something really important to do, but he let God interrupt him that day. We all have a lot of really important things to do, but are we letting God interrupt us? He didn't question first and act later. He didn't care the amount of time that he was going to have to love this man, the amount of time their life was going to be connected. He didn't care if that meant that all of his friends, the Samaritan friends, would now hate him because he befriended this Jewish man. He didn't care. He didn't, he didn't 
tally that up really quickly in his head. I say that because if he had, he would have kept walking. He loved first and acted upon that love. When Jesus was done telling the parable, he asked the expert, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert and the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Who is your neighbor? Is it the person you fight with over social media? Is it the person at the grocery store who's struggling at the checkout to pay for their food? Is it the acquaintance whose life is such a mess that you know if you begin to help, you may never be done? But Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is not one of these messages where you just get to learn from. You have to act upon it if it's going to do anything. Go and do likewise. But you may feel like, what what can I do? This world is kind of a mess. What little thing can I do that's going to make an impact on anybody's life? The same website where I found the horrible responses about helping people on the road, I thought maybe people would be nicer in the grocery store. So I looked up, would people pay for someone's groceries? And the one that really hit me was actually the response of a woman who had received help. She said, I tried to buy a few groceries and my credit card was declined. My granddaughter started crying because she would have to give back her sucker. The kindest woman I have ever met, a total stranger, stepped up and paid for my food. I don't know her and will most likely never see her again, but she is in my daily prayers. This amazing act of kindness will be with me forever. That woman is going to go on to love her neighbor because she was loved. We might not be able to change the world, but we can love our neighbors. And that's all Jesus asks us to do is love those around us because he's going to take care of the rest because then they're going to love theirs and they're going to love theirs. But reading what this woman did... She's not going to be selfish. Whenever she can help, she's going to help. A personal story for me, at the age of six years old, my mom died. We had only lived in this town for about a year at the time, and our family didn't have these, a lot of family around, we didn't have a lot, but I do remember that while my mom was dying, people would come to our house and clean. I thought they were there to clean my room. They were not. Uh, But they came and they served us. I had more casserole in those like six months than I ever want to have again in my life. But we ate every single night and it was because people loved my family. And at the age of six, I remember being that loved. It showed me what loving your neighbor looks like. And there's actually a couple people that are in this room today that were in that church in Wilmer. And I remember being a six-year-old girl, knowing that Nancy Murphy cared about me because she made sure to tell me She saw what was missing in my life and she would stop and make sure I knew that I was loved. I don't know what would have happened if we hadn't felt loved in that time. But I know I was loved by the church and therefore by God. We don't see what happened to the Jewish man. We don't know if he went on to become this incredible man to build bridges between him and the Samaritans or if he left the inn and didn't even look back. We don't know that. But that's not what the story is about. The story is about loving our neighbor. So I ask you again, who is your neighbor and how will you love them? See, 
this was set as an example by Jesus for us. I started this by saying, grasp the heart of our Heavenly Father. And when I talked about loopholes before, Jesus, the night he was arrested and he was about to go to a cross to pay for our sins, he sat in a garden knowing he was moments from being arrested and he was crying out to the Lord and he did not want to go to the cross. And you know what? In that moment, he could have said, Lord, you don't know what these people are going to do. Can I just give you a glimpse into 2020? It's not pretty. They fight about everything. They hate each other. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to pay for their sins. And they're not even, they're still going to be sinners. That's still who they are. But Jesus chose to close the loophole because he loves us. He eliminated that loophole once and for all in that garden and walking to the cross. And I would just love for you guys to just bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus loves you. Not this whole room, well he does, but individually he loves you by name. He knows your name and he loves you. And if you're sitting here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you would find it really hard to even love like we just talked about, maybe it's because you haven't accepted the greatest love of your life and that's Jesus. And he went to a cross willingly to pay for your sins and my sins and all we have to do is accept that gift. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. But this gift is kind of like a present under a Christmas tree, and it can sit there under the tree. You could, have an, you could have a new phone in a gift under the tree, but until you take that gift, open it up, and receive it, it's actually not yours, and it's not doing any good. There is a gift of salvation waiting for you today, and all you have to do is accept it. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Jesus is here. He paid the price. And all we have to do is accept his gift. So if that's you today, if you're saying, I want my life to be changed, I want to be able to love like that. I want to be loved like that. I want to know Jesus beyond rituals, but I want to know him as a relationship. If that is you today, I want you to do the boldest thing and the best thing you'll ever do would you just raise your hand? Yeah, I see that hand. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me above yourself. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to live for you for the rest of my days. Amen. As we stand to our feet, can we celebrate for the lives that were changed today?